welcome back to the Monolith Films Podcast. I am Nick Gillum. I am Wee Bird. And this week we'll be talking about Federico Fellini's Fellini Satyricon. From 1969. Uh, my first note that I have written down, not the first one, but in the middle it says, they're not gay, they're just Roman. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was a pretty good line. Yeah, that is pretty good. There's, there's quite a bit of a pederasty in the film. Yeah. That kind of sets the, starts the drama, is the... Uh, the pederasty. Do you want to try and give a bit of a summary for this movie? Uh, yeah. I mean, so it's based on Satyricon, which is... Ancient book? Yeah, written by Petronius, which was, like, um... Apparently they lost a majority of the text. Okay. So in its current state, it's very fragmented, mm-hmm. which the movie uh, mirrors that fragmentation. It's uh, episodic. Follows uh, the adventures of Inculpio. Inculpio! Inculpio! <laughs> so the entire movie. <laughs> Tries to win back... Young boy lover, slave young, boy. Yeah. It's confusing whether or not he's a slave or his lover. Both. Blurred both. lines. Yeah. Blurred lines. Um, but honestly, that doesn't... Like, that's like the main... Yeah, not really. But it, it yeah. falls apart pretty quickly. And you pretty much just follow Inculpio as he... Uh, ventures forth on various little mini stories in like an absurd, exaggerated Roman Empire. So the uh, this is a two thousand year adaptation. Nine episodes yeah, in it. Eight or nine. Nine uh, or ten. We'll go through each one, I guess. Yeah. Talk about them. Yeah. Um, you can tell uh, in Sculpio because he's the one with the beautiful blonde coiffed hair. The uh, the other the other dude. A Shilto? A Shilto! Are two buddies who live together, but they also both bang this boy slave. Yeah, and the boy slave's name is uh, Jatoni, I think. Yeah, Jatoni. <laughs> Something like that. They both like Jatoni. <laughs> then the two friends have a breaking up, and Jatoni decides to go with a Shilto instead of a Sculpio. Yeah. And uh, that's where the drama starts. We follow the two friends, or more uh, Sculpio, on his adventures throughout the Mediterranean. And uh, in and out, we get more, uh, what's his name? Jatoni and Asholto uh, yeah, cameos in it as they, they push the story together. But uh, like you said, very fragmented. Yeah. The episodes seem like you're missing scenes, like you're missing parts in it to, to follow the story. But uh, I think you get more of a, more of a meaning it and less of a, a narrative to it you're, you're less worried about the story and more worried about what you're seeing and what's what's going on or what he's trying to tell you yeah definitely um before we jump in uh what did you think the very first time you saw this uh i watched it with my mom the first time and she stopped after about 10 minutes and she, she said i don't watch this movie I said oh come on it's pretty good and i kept watching i was like ah you know it's pretty good and then uh <laughs> But about halfway through the movie, because it kind of shocks you the first couple scenes. Yeah. Because it's very pederasty, very strange, and um, the, it's like fantastically set, the movie. So everything seems very stylized, but like the set design is stylized, yeah, plus yeah. The, the camera work and lighting, but um, the lighting is pretty stylized. Um, I thought it was fantastic the first time I saw it. I really liked it, by about the halfway part. Right, yeah, I can, I get that. Yeah, about an hour in, you're desensitized to the the shock of the movie or what's going on in the movie, and you go, yeah, live it up, you Romans, let's get it, <laughs> let's get it going. This is the way to do it. So, what did you think 
rewatching it now recently. Now I was right in right away. Yeah, Get that Jatoni. <laughs> Take it or leave it, Jatoni. They don't they don't make it easy for you though to start off. No, it's, yeah. It's I not agree. an easy first couple scenes. Yeah. My, oh, yeah, yeah, that was your first viewing. Pretty similar to yours, I'd say. <laughs> it was really hard to get into. I tried watching it once. Yeah. And I I probably watched like 20 minutes and then gave up and then had to try again uh, on a different day. That first half hour with the uh, Yeah. Once you get in the theater and you go, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah. But then after the theater scene, I think it kind of I think I think so too. Better, yeah. It's honestly once I passed that theater, it, mm-hmm. it picked up a little. I also found because uh, we could talk about this later, but just to mention it, the, the audio mm-hmm. is purposely not in sync with the uh, visuals, so the dialogue isn't in sync with the actors' mouths, and trying to like make my brain keep track of that while also reading the subtitles, which at the beginning are super fast because all the characters are screaming yeah. for like the first 15 minutes. A Scorpio! A Shilto! <laughs> so... Yeah, Jatoni just smiling like... Yeah, fuck doing his weird hand box hey, thing. His little dances get the people going. Dude. Apparently they do. This guy is the number one pederast boy of the <laughs> He's got all the moves. He sings the songs, entertainment, yeah. dances, and, oh, what a pretty boy. They say that often in the movie. Fantastic. So getting through that was tough, mm-hmm. but the when I sat down on a different day to watch it, I chose to watch it without subtitles. Okay. And I was like, "Fuck the audio, okay. like the dialogue. I just won't focus on it. Yeah. You know, I'll just try and focus on it purely visually." And so that helped me get through the, those first twenty minutes. And then the second time I watched it, I did it with subtitles. Mm-hmm. Did you find a difference between the subtitles and the... I preferred it without. Yeah. They're completely really unnecessary. Much. Yeah. Yeah. They're, well, there's some, like, cherry-pick lines. Okay. That give it. But, uh, yeah, overall, I think each story is like... Well, it's almost like you overheard a myth or something. Right. Like you overheard a legend. You go, what are they talking about? Like some folklore story. You go, that's a stupid story. I'm going to leave. And you never get, like, kind of the full picture of the story. True. Um like when the parents kill themselves and send the kids away and everything, you kind of watching it. What the fuck's going on? Kind of thing. Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, what do you think the the first scene? I don't, I don't think the first scene's very well. Like it needs a bit of explanation in it, because you don't really know that it's like an apartment tenement building. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, it doesn't show. Well, I mean, I guess modern people we wouldn't know what a a Roman tenement apartment looked like. Yeah, and they they don't tell you what anything is so you're kind of moving through you don't know it looks kind of fantastical too so you go oh is this like some kind of underworld yeah it looks images yeah. or is it just playing on it um also it opens with uh in Sculpio or whatever his name is in Sculpio in Sculpio just yelling <laughs> just absolutely very pissed off yelling about something and Without the subtitles, it takes us all ten minutes before you figure out what he's yelling about. Mm-hmm. With the subtitles, you figure it out a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah, but when you when you figure out what he's yelling about, you go, "What the fuck kind of movie am I watching?" <laughs> yeah, what definitely. Kind of is this? He's yelling about his uh, his boy slave yeah. being sold to a uh, famous actor. Yeah, being sold by his buddy, a Shilto. Yeah, his roommate. Yeah, friend mate. Yeah. Did you like the uh, the scene in the theater? I did. 
I liked pretty much every scene. Yeah. Every scene is pretty well, like, just the set is crafted so well, it's hard mm. not to just enjoy it. It's like every every scene or every episode, I guess, kind of has its own style to it. Yeah. Or its own, uh, okay. like, you're never cutting between scenes. It's always the scene, whatever, 10, 15 minute long scene. And it's always like a massive set piece almost. And you kind of just move around this massive set piece. Right. So like you'd have the scene in the apartments and it's just the big apartment building and crumbles after. And then there's the theater where it's just in the theater or the streets where they go around. Yeah. And then it's just the guys, the uh, the rich landowner's uh, feast that he has. And yeah, he invites yeah. the poets over and he's the phony poet and he brings everyone over. Then it's like the bathhouse. The ba- that might be one of my favorite scenes. When everyone's supposed to be bathing, and it's just a bunch of people standing, jumping up and down with candles everywhere. That was supposed to be a bath. Yeah. That was supposed to be them bathing. Yeah, I think okay. that's the bathhouse they go to. Okay, looks more like a cemetery. <laughs> yeah, and it's outside. Yeah, but uh, I mean, fuck, I like I like every scene. It's just too fantastic to look at. Yeah, that scene was really cool though. Just like story alone, if you just take screenshots of it, almost, or just see the camera movement yeah. going on and the lighting of it, it's absolutely beautiful. You have yeah. some characters silhouetted in the frame some not big and it's a wide angle too so everything's kind of in focus so one scene one shot that i really liked in that rich landowner feast scene yeah is uh we're kind of just going around this feast seeing everyone's faces all these people in fantastic costumes everyone's painted up big hair big everything and it looks like what you'd think it would look like maybe not actually what it looked like but i think yeah, yeah. for more of an ideal uh and the uh each shot has like people lit properly, people silhouetted, people like crescent lit half yeah. their faces, and you'd have, like I'm thinking of the the shot it dollies down a table. And you're just seeing everyone's faces, and they're all blocked, looking different ways, all different lit, and a guy's hands are in the like foreground, and he's kind of clapping, get everyone to clap, and you see everyone else, and it just kind of looks like, almost if you superimposed or you were cutting out figures and sticking them on right. to make really uh really strong graphic qualities in this movie black color silhouette yes big hands small heads big heads everyone looking around it's very uh very graphic why do you think he did that that leads me to my second note okay under they're not gay they're just roman (laughs) um i thought it, it was about um it was my idea about the movie or the way that fellini uh wanted to make it would be um more not following historical accuracy but like art history accuracy where he'd be following in the same uh, artistic vein or artistic tone as the works of art that they were making 2000 years ago so like you see the pottery and they have red figure pottery and black figure pottery you know where it's always like the guy's walking or something yeah and you'd have the people all in red and you'd have some black characters and big right. characters and little characters i thought he was trying to mimic the aesthetic of these ancient artworks to the screen to the modern so you'd have these giant mosaics and the way that the people's faces are in the mosaics kind of angled and jagged with bright colors and stuff and that would make up the costume design of the scene where some people's faces would be painted blue or something and they'd have all strange sharp angle cut makeup and exaggerated hair and perfect geometric curls and everything right it's as if you were looking at the pottery or on a mural or a mosaic and you go oh it's that but it's moving in live action now that's why i kind of look at these movies where they're, they're it's not reality or history right it's fantastical but it's 
following the trend of that ancient art. Interesting. Style, yeah. That's cool, too, that um, brings to mind one of the final images of the movie, mm -hmm. where it zooms out on a broken-down mural yeah. of basically the movie painted in sequence. Pretty well, yeah. In fragments as well. Yeah. Kind of just like a, a visual mirroring of the entirety of the film. It's like a, a ruinous old temple or something yeah. with scenes from the movie painted on it. It's as if... Um, kind of reminds me of uh, John Barth's Chimera. Okay. It's a novel. In it, there's a segment where uh, every day an uh, ancient Greek hero wakes up to a new section of a mural based on his life being okay. painted. So he kind of revisits his heroic acts mm -hmm. through this mural being painted day by day. But it's also extremely satirical. Yeah. Like it's absolutely just like destroying the hero circle and everything okay. like that. But it's that same like uh, fragmented storytelling mm -hmm. with the classical themes. It's interesting. Speaking of satire, did you find it funny, the movie? I thought it was hilarious. It's pretty funny. We were talking about, we, we jumped over the theater, the, yeah. uh, the first theater scene pretty quickly. But just like the the visual tone of the film is very bleak yet extravagant. Mm -hmm. Like they're always like it's they're in the desert and they're in like these underground ruins. Everything's everyone's, dirty. And yeah, everything. everyone's dressed kind of like frivolously. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's like this play and there's this beautiful set piece for the play, and it's just this dude dressed as a cat farting on stage. Mm -hmm. He's was, a pig, that guy. <laughs> yeah, fuck, I thought that was so funny. I uh, I took a screenshot of that scene with the subtitles, and it says farts rhythmically <laughs> yeah, on it. I did the same thing. Fantastic. Yeah. Just a couple of good fart jokes. Um, the look of the film, I was thinking, is yeah. it, it's, uh, it's graphic and very uh, geometric throughout. Like, the boat scene... Yeah. In most of the shots, there's always diagonal big oars. Yeah. But the oars cut the frame into sections, and they move like this, and there's pillars, and everything's cutting through the frame in these sharp, sharp angles. I'll I cut that in before <laughs> to the other one. <laughs> Everything is very, uh, like, placed either... Like, it's always placed in ratio in frame. Mm -hmm. You know, like, everything's either centered or, mm -hmm. like, the screen is split into thirds mm -hmm. or whatever. But it's always, like, well-established cinematic ratios. Nothing's ever too off-kilter. No, it's... It's, pr yeah, one of the most, like, blocked movies I think yeah. I've seen, where the everyone is placed to a T, exactly, almost. Like, in that um, feast scene again, Yeah. You the last shot in it before uh, the real poet, because the, the rich guy's pretending to be a poet because you're ripping people off, and he when he sends the real poet to go get killed. Uh, Apolmo, I think his name? Alumpo, something uh, like that? Something like that, yeah. He, uh, the, the rich guy gives a monologue talking about the, the landowning class, and uh, that shot is probably the, maybe not the toughest in the movie, but incredibly hard to light, I would think, because you ha you'd have two people on either side of him, or one on one side, two on the other, both perfectly lit. He's silhouetted in the middle, the background is properly lit, and there's silhouetted people in front. So okay, the, yeah. the amount of lights it yeah, took yeah. to set this up, to get that image, that graphic look with color, silhouette, big foreground, background, and all wide angle to keep it in focus, they must have been blasting fucking lights like crazy to get that. 
like just the technical achievement of the lighting I think in the movie is just uh, unparalleled I'd say the graphic qualities are very good in the film I'll have to rewatch it now that, with, that uh, shot's nuts dude keeping an eye on lighting that's crazy that shot interesting the scene we're just talking about with Sculpio or Sculpio <laughs> meets uh Yamalpo. Yamal these Roman names are ridiculous too. Yeah they are. They're very everyone has three names and it's all the same names too. Yeah. Tarquinius Valerius Malinkios. It's the exact same guy. <laughs> I think the the dude who uh who is hosting the big party mm-hmm. his name is like Trimalcioni or something like that. Yeah. Just yeah, like this yeah. impossible name to understand. In the in that scene there's a line that the, the poet gives that I think would be one of the lines to cherry pick out. Okay. He says, uh, more value in gold than in art these days, or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I think that, like, in the story, or in the narrative, it would be more him critiquing the empire, because this is the decline of the empire now that right. they're making fun of, the kind of uh, Nero days, I guess, when the... Uh, the book is based in the during the rule time of Nero. Nero. Yeah. yeah, so this is like the full excess and full extravagance but also decline of the empire so I think he would the original critique or the original satire would be on the times that they're living in but then when they bring it into the modern era I think the the same critique holds but to a different means or to a different end yeah yeah I didn't I didn't notice that line mm-hmm. but I noticed the theme yeah. of uh, art being unappreciated Mm -hmm. i guess um like we were talking about before the theater scene where it's just fart jokes and they cut off the dude's hand just so the crowd can yell at the blood yeah and uh if you check the subtitles Mm -hmm. for any time they're doing something artsy Mm -hmm. it always just says vulgar latin (laughs) yeah like that like that's the their go-to for art it's just vulgar latin so it's like like it's the classical language of poetry Mm -hmm. right but it's vulgar so it's like this manipulated version of art that they're presenting just for the sake of presenting it. To make that cash. Yeah. Get that money. Get them coins. I'd pay to see you guys hang it cut off. I think so too. I would, yeah. Definitely. If someone in the back was yelling, Scorpio! <laughs> then I'd be into the idea. <laughs> so it's pretty well after that, uh, that feast scene where the movie kind of becomes more normal or more easy to digest. Because then you kind of know the character a bit. At least the blonde main character, you can yeah. recognize his little blonde claw. True. I think it's also the first scene mm-hmm. when they're in their their tenement. Their tenement, and they visit a brothel yeah. briefly, and the theater scene. Mm-hmm. It all it's all so like sudden and abrupt. Yeah. It's kind of just confusing. Yeah. And then it jumps to that uh, party scene, the like banquet or whatever. Yeah. And it, that one's so long in comparison. It's like that one scene is as long as everything before, everything before yeah. it. Yeah. But it, it, that's kind of like a normal movie now. Like you right. kind of want something. You go, oh, okay, I've seen stuff like this before. I know yeah. what dialogue is. This is a movie, you know? Yeah. Less than these crazy angles and crazy shots. The set pieces in the movie are ridiculous, though. Yeah. You know how big the fucking the apartment is? That tenement is gigantic. They, They filmed... The entire movie in the same studio. Yeah. They, I think they had over 80 different sets. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. So after 
the banquet is uh, the party host moves the party to a tomb mm. where he reenacts his burial, right? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. The party gets moved to the tomb. Yeah. He gets in the chamber, the burial yeah. niche. Catacomb. And uh, he has all the slaves cry for him. Yeah. And then uh, he gives one of the slaves some gold, and then everyone wants some gold, and he says, you greedy bastards, get out of here. <laughs> and then they go into a, an allegory after that. Is that the uh, the love story between the mourning uh, wife and the dead husband? Maybe. Yeah. With that dialogue, I've I've I read that there's That's a true. few yeah. stories within yeah. stories. Yeah. Without the dialogue, it's hard to tell when. <laughs> What's the what? With, yeah. yeah. When it's a story within a story, and when it's just a different story. With so the I'm not sure if it's, if it's the episodic nature of the movie. Right. Too. Exactly. It's, uh, very hard to tell, but it's a uh, it's an allegory where a. Uh, a man is tasked with making sure that the body of a yeah. imp- of a convicted criminal stays uh, crucified up or hung up, and he has to make sure no no family members take the body back to bury it. Uh, while he's watching the uh, the body there, a wife mourns her dead husband in the valley below. He goes in, seduces her. Um, while he's with his new lover, uh, the family of the criminal takes the body away, and the wife and the guy who was supposed to watch it decide to take the husband's body and hang it up. And she says, better to lose a dead husband than a live lover. Okay. And I laughed when I heard it. <laughs> yeah, I would have laughed too, I think. I, uh, I don't know if that whole allegory is uh, just for the bit, <laughs> just for the joke of it. Right. Or if there's a... Uh, some kind of metaphoric meaning to it, to it. Interesting. Excuse me, guys. I'm not. No, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Is a sorry. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Fellini just visited us. Actually, <laughs> great job, guys. Keep going. Keep it up, guys. <laughs> um, I didn't get that that was an allegory mm. when I watched it without the dialogue. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just the next episode. Next story, yeah. Next story, yeah. But it's, it's interesting how effective Fellini is at telling a story visually mm-hmm. because I understood like all of the dynamics of that short story just based on the visuals. Like You can tell even by the way the characters walk towards and away from the hanging body on the hill that they're stealing it back, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you get that whole... You get the whole story basically just purely visually. And I think that's consistent throughout the film. Yeah, you really don't need any dialogue or any knowledge of the dialogue. Yeah. It's more like you just hear them talking Latin and you go, oh, wow, that's, that's wild, you know? Right. And you see these images that you've... I've never seen a movie that looks like this before. That normally you'd have some kind of historical movie or a historical fantasy movie and it's kind of what you'd expect like people in togas and right yeah short hair and everything but this is so exaggerated and so exuberant and so over the top that it's almost like the nature of the times like what was going on then with the excess of everything the orgy culture and uh, come over partying or i forget what the parties are called but um just drinking all day going absolutely crazy and you kind of see that on screen through the dress and the set design and the gigantic 
set pieces. The, they're carrying a giant statue of Nero's head through the one of the alleys at yeah. one point at the beginning. And the thing's fucking 20 feet tall yeah. through these little alleys. And it's just like such excess on screen, too. Yeah. I think it's very good to see. Very good watch. I agree. And if you're into pederasty, you're going to like it even more. <laughs> so, yeah, after that scene, we get transported with Esculpio on a, uh, a slave ship. All three of the boys. All three of them are back together. Yeah. The boys are back in town. Exactly. Back on the slave ship or on a slave ship where uh, Esculpio ends up marrying uh, the captain. His job is to find all the pretty young boys and bring them to Caesar on the island. Oh, okay. So he collects all these boys and he says, Esculpio is too pretty to go to Caesar. I'm going to marry him. Okay. So he marries him on the sea. With his wife's permission, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it's my favorite marriage scene in any movie. Yeah, probably. I don't think there's a better one. Yeah, it's fucking funny. But just to look at, too. Fuck, it's yeah. cool looking. Oars everywhere, cutting I don't know rain. how the fuck they did those boat shots. It's wacky. Yeah. Like and they it's build. old studio, too. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. awesome. Like, it looks very good. Yeah. And uh, he gets married to the, the captain of this ship, and then when they show up, it turns out that... Uh, there's been an insurrection and the boy king has been killed. Yeah. There's a new Caesar now. Right, and then, yeah, <laughs> he just leaves. Yeah. And Colpio just manages to just walk away. I was trying to put the story together when you watch it. Yeah. Because you kind of, you go, well, what the fuck happened in between those exactly, scenes, you know? Exactly, yeah. But it, it's kind of, you kind of follow it. He's at home. His home gets destroyed. And then it's kind of his adventures through the Greek world. Yeah moving along in this little event like uh well any kind of greek epic story it's right. always a, a journey for it you go to troy and you come back it's always some outside of their home yeah hero definitely. story and it's pretty well the same thing in in this story just esculpio uh, isn't the uh, the toughest guy One. i really like just the look of the boat there. there's so many characters in this movie yeah. but like so many faces you see in the movie like, every scene probably has, like, 30 close-ups. Oh, yeah, for of, sure. Of tertiary characters. Yeah. When I... I um, this movie's on YouTube, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. When I searched it up to watch it on YouTube really quickly mm. uh, today, I saw uh, Criterion. Yeah. Made, like, a, a cut, three reasons to watch Fellini mm. Satyricon kind yeah. of thing. And, like, at least half of that video is just a super cut of close-ups of people's yeah. faces that's what i found the movie was through that yeah video yeah interesting like four years ago whenever it came out that one yeah sick one though yeah that was yeah it was check out the three reasons uh, well, <laughs> it's a good video. i was more shocked by just the makeup in the in right. that three in that little bit short video um and the the sets the gigantic sets yeah, yeah. that they were using i'm pulling this from a book called the cinema of fellini by uh, Peter Bondanella. Shout out to Peter Bondanella. Like yeah. and subscribe. Peter. He's actually he's got a few sources uh, on Fellini that are actually really good. He told uh, Reno Carboni, the director of makeup. He told him to aim for hallucinatory, spectral, and haunting effects, an appearance supported by Fellini's preparatory sketches, hmm. and for the set and costume design. Produce surroundings and clothes that conveyed a timeless and unreal quality. Very dreamlike, the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wrote a lot about the about yeah. dream. But the, the makeup, it's almost uh, like theatrical makeup, I'd see it. Yeah. Like, if you want someone's nose to look big, you'd put black lines. Yes, to definitely. Accent the nose or something. It's all very 
very uh, stylized makeup, but that's where I kind of got the relation to the mosaic and the old art where you just kind of have cartoon lines, hard yeah. lines, fat lines like that. It's more about the shapes than it is about yeah. the uh, details. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Do you have anything more to say about the death of Caesar? It's good enough. <laughs> it seems kind of more uh, like transitory than anything yeah. else. Yeah, well, it's like almost a plot, because we miss a plot point after that, too. Because then after that scene, then they're being chased by the new Caesar. So they have to get away from new Caesar. But we never know why. Well, they're still slaves. Yeah, but everyone's slaves. Everyone's That's true. free. No one knows nothing in That's these times. True. Fuck. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's some plot point that we miss after that death. Good death. Did you like the death? Yeah, that's the one where he's getting stabbed by yeah, like a bunch of three guys dudes. Poking him with spears. I thought they did that pretty well, actually. Right. For a 69 movie, mm -hmm. I was surprised that the camera didn't shy away from the scene. Usually you'd expect it to kind of like pan up so a that you'd only see... a reaction see... shot? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you just see the spears oh, fully God. penetrating yeah. this dude's body. And then a pretty... close-up for this like poor kid. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of blood comes out. <laughs> Fantastic. It's kind of funny, like, thinking back on the movie, it's almost like you're thinking back on a dream, too. You're yeah. Like, what the fuck happened next? Was it that scene? Or they're in the dinner, and they're now they're in a tomb? Yeah. This guy's getting in. Why they're, now they're pulling a dead body down. What the fuck's going on? It is kind of, you feel like, yeah. a dream. Whenever you try to explain of, a dream to someone, yeah. it, you always just remember major scenes. You never remember how it got from one mm -hmm. scene to the other. Yeah. So at this house, uh, all I remember is the suicide. Yeah, so it's like these parents are gathering all their kids because um, there's no no food or something, or the crops are bad. I forget the motivation right. for it. Load them all on this cart. Also, the cart's fucking pretty stupid. It's like a horse with a buggy in the back, but the buggy only has, like, chariot wheels, like two wheels instead okay. of four. So everyone's just <laughs> swinging back and forth on this little uneven thing. If I can get two more wheels, I get one more wheel, asshole. <laughs> Put it right on the front. Fuck. Then you might be able to get food for your fucking... Anyway, <laughs> um, and they send the kids away, and then the parents decide to kill themselves, and then uh, a Sholto and a Sculpio come around the bushes and go, oh, and then they're inside the house. Yeah, they just jack their house. Yeah, not bad, but it yeah. seems like there was stuff in there. They were eating and partying. There's other people in there. Yeah. They're hanging out. They find a little slave girl. Yeah. And they party with her. Oh, they threesome with her. They get it down with her. Is that that scene? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they boogie. These Romans, they're partying. They These eat, guys. like, what? They shove rice in each other's mouths or whatever they're eating? They always eat. <laughs> Do they just shovel food with their hands into their mouths every time they're eating? Yeah, that's true. Uh, what's his name? Esculpio has the plate two yeah. inches from his mouth, and he's just <laughs> bulldozing yeah. food into it. The, the excess, the gluttony of the film grossed me out pretty well. <laughs> Yeah. I can take gore, but honestly, people eating grosses me out. The whole movie almost is people eating yeah. gross, too. Just <laughs> shoving fucking tomatoes in your mouth. Faces covered in makeup and grease. <laughs> Sweat yeah. and fucking oil on it. One dude was like literally dripping. He was so sweaty during that banquet scene. Yeah. That was I think fucking, I know the exact yeah. guy you're talking about. That was fucking funny. Fantastic. But it's also like, it almost feels more real through the style, though, you know? It doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like you're on a different planet, almost. Yeah, definitely. I like any, like, a Spartacus movie or something, like, around the same time where it's this kind of 
period piece epic movie or it's supposed to be yeah and you get um, Spartacus where it looks like a Hollywood movie everything's shot out like a Hollywood movie back and forth like things you kind of move through it but this is kind of like it's so fucking weird and the makeup is so fucked up yeah, yeah. and everyone's sweaty like you go this is a movie or just people like fucking around like, yeah. what's going on here that it's such a shock on the system this movie I think that's why I like a movie like this it's very strange yeah, it is very strange. Good strange. I would rate this leaps and bounds over Spartacus. Leaps and bounds. Yeah, over even uh, bounds. the only one that made me think of, I haven't seen Spartacus, the only one that made me think of was uh, Gladiators. Or Gladiator. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it plural? Just the one, eh? Yeah. That's the only Maximus Aurelius, Margalius, Quintalius. There's 20 names. Yeah, exactly. Name that I think that's probably the only other period piece I've sword, seen of sword this period. Sword and sandal movie. Yeah. Called? Yeah. And it is just like, like you said, on a completely different planet compared yeah. to that. Well, that looks like, okay, they got horses, there's a story here, they're in yeah. the movie. This is, feels like like a myth or a legend or something that someone's telling you, and you're kind of picturing in your head almost yeah. what you'd expect people to look like, and you go, yeah, I bet that guy was fat and fucked up. Yeah, yeah, I, bet, yeah. I bet he farted or something. You kind of make the story in your head, and it's on screen, what's in your head. Yeah, that's it. It's like you hear about this period of the Roman Empire, mm -hmm. and you hear and read about its extravagance in, like, history class or whatever, and naturally, you blow it out of proportions in your mind, mm -hmm. right? So, like, during that banquet, they have this fucking giant pig the size of a car yeah, filled with just more meat. Yeah, they, but, like, they trick the guy. They think they didn't gut him, and they pull out tons of sausages yeah. and stuff. Look, it's Full more ropes of sausage, and the guy's happy. Everyone's <laughs> clapping. Full chickens pop yeah. out of this pig. And they have some dwarf guy walking around with big hands to show everyone to clap. <laughs> Clap, everyone clap. But, and like, that's... Fucking good. That's what I would have imagined in, yeah. like, when I was taking history, you know? This is how I'd like to picture yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Just something so excessive but so crazy. Yeah. Otherworldly. And I, I found it more... I find visually, mm -hmm. the costumes and makeup almost seemed more Egyptian to me than yeah. Roman. Because when you see Roman depictions, mm. they aren't that extra extravagant. Yeah. But when you see Egyptian depictions, they always are that extravagant. Mm. They leave... It, it, Incopio goes to the mansion with his enemy, Ashilto, mm -hmm. and they have a threesome with the slave girl they yeah. find. But it's almost like they're buddies again now. Right, yeah, exactly. So we, we miss a few few reasons what happened. I think there. maybe sharing the trauma of the, being a slave on the boat mm -hmm. made them bond or yeah. something. That's the only... That's all we get. That's the there most could be like get. another two or three episodes, though, in between. Right, yeah. Could have been lost. We don't know. Definitely. The next scene is... Uh, they go, they're in the desert, and they're talking oh, to these yeah. caravan people. Yeah. And then Ashilto goes and has sex with a girl tied in a in a cart. <laughs> and then yeah. they go and find uh, that painted, that white painted mm -hmm. lady. The uh, hermaphrodite. Yeah, the, the hermaphrodite. The born hermaphrodite. Yeah, that's the strangest scene, I think, in it. Yeah. In the movie. The... The hermaphrodite. Yeah, and the, it's weird. You have to go um, have sex with the guy's wife to. I don't know. I don't know if there was a reason to it. I think, um, again, I didn't watch it with subtitles, mm -hmm. so that that whole desert scene yeah. to me was like, what the fuck is going on here? But even with the subtitles, it's yeah, lift that one out. I think apparently, 
the girl is a nymphomaniac. Yeah. And the husband can't satisfy her, so he asks Ashulto to help him out. Yeah. Well, Ashulto's the fucking stud of the movie. Apparently, So, I mean, yeah. he's the guy to ask. <laughs> and between Gitano and Esculpio, I'm going to Esculpio every time. <laughs> if Gitoni was to fuck my wife, no way. <laughs> You'd be doing hand dances the whole way back home. True. Fuck. Doing the robot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's kind of the the most mythic scene, I guess, or the most that seems like completely strange. The hermaphrodite. Yeah, the yeah. hermaphrodite scene, where there's a child born as a hermaphrodite that they say is a demigod. Yeah. And they have to make it survive, and the kid is also like albino. He's a young albino, and uh, he gets sunburned and dies. Oh yeah. Mm. I just thought they painted him white. Oh, no, it could be too. I mean, anything could go. That's true. I don't know. Uh, Either way, they got some kind of health issues. I guess the kid. Well, they they try to confined to a caravan. They kidnap the hermaphrodite. (laughs) They just go and they murder a bunch of people. (laughs) Kidnap them. (laughs) Good album. And then they attempt to cross the desert with one sack of water. Mm -hmm. So probably just dehydration. Yeah. Right. Any any number of desert illnesses. Pick any. Yeah, exactly. Roll the dice. Uh, yeah, then the kid dies. The guy they're with gets angry. Then they kill that guy. Yeah. And run away. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that we leave Ashulto. Yeah. They go their separate ra- ways, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, Until later. Right, <laughs> when yeah. When he comes back again. I want to see Ashulto's life. This guy's all over the place. Selling other people's slaves. Showing up, <laughs> banging people. Fucking hanging out. Later is with the... Uh, the pro console he's a cool dude this guy actually i think that close-up might be my favorite of the in the minotaur scene when the when they go oh the pro console's there and everyone's watching and here's the guy smiling and he gets all mad he has these tight curls on his forehead yes yes i know exactly you're talking about that might be my favorite close-up actually Console. So in in Culpio or in Sculpio or whatever escapes. I could be saying it wrong. I have, dude, I just I like have no yeah, idea. Sculpio! <laughs> <laughs> like yelling it. Um, Probably every scene someone yells at him, yells his name at him. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Even calls him pretty. Yeah. <laughs> falls down a hill. Yeah. And some dude basically tells him, hey, do this labyrinth mm-hmm. and uh, you can fuck your, your prize uh, as a lady. But Ariadne, he yeah. says, that's that's Theseus's wife, though. In right. The myth, yeah. So I think he's just kind of reenacting, yeah, the making yeah. the allegory of it, saying, "Oh, you're yeah. gonna get something at the end, you know? Wait, right. do it for Adria or Ariadne." Um, that scene, I think, if you kind of like, if you look at scene by scene, we're kind of getting further away from Rome or further away from Italy, as the story goes. It's like we're kind of in the heart of Rome, right, in yeah. this tenement. Then we're in a banquet in Rome. But then we slowly kind of move east, I guess, because yeah, from my history class last semester, thank you, Concordia University, <laughs> history department, such a good department. Um, the, uh, like a proconsul, uh, the guy with the tight curls, he would be a retired general after his term as general. But to keep them in power, because they wanted to keep the patrician class dominant yeah so they'd give them more roles and these proconsuls would go there to serve their terms in the in the provinces and so this minotaur scene would have to be far mediterranean like yeah turkey or 
Armenia, yeah. far, far east, for it to make sense for the proconsul to be there. And then I guess at the end of the story, they go to Africa at the end, and they're happy. Yeah. They're safe from in Africa. I think even thematically, mm-hmm. that shift is consistent. Yeah. Like in the beginning, you're in uh, this tenement building. It almost seems brothel. like a dungeon, too. Rome yeah. seems like a really restrictive alleys. Everything's dark. But those that first few scenes are places that actually existed in Rome. Yeah. Like that tenement building, that mm. underground tenement building has mm. a name. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what it is now, but like that mm. was a straight up like yeah. actual place in Rome. Mm-hmm. And then you move from the theme of Roman exuberance mm-hmm. and ex- ex- excess mm-hmm. that lasts throughout, but you kind of shift more and more into like exoticism after yeah and you shift into greek myth yeah with theseus yeah and then you shift later into just pure like tribal paganism yeah at the end yeah at the end so you're you're shifting further and further away from rome Mm -hmm. thematically as well but they're also more free as they move from rome yes so uh i was thinking like with the giant statues of nero bringing his big head through the city and the massive monuments and the size of the feasts and everything it's almost like you always feel like the state is this big thing okay the state runs everything yeah, yeah everything is the empire but then as you move farther away you go oh well everything's not the empire there's other things to do i can have a threesome with my buddy and this slave girl right or i can go see some weird hermaphrodite in a legend story there's other outside of this big omnipresent finger poking down on you so he he enters the labyrinth mm-hmm. and colpio enters the labyrinth and fights or attempts to fight the minotaur which is just a big dude in a minotaur helmet, <laughs> which I thought was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> but it's it's almost cooler than yeah. having something else. Yeah, you definitely. Know? Like you have some guy in paper mache head, fuck. <laughs> but I think it, it also plays to the the satire of yeah. the film, you know, like that big minotaur monster in the labyrinth is just mm-hmm. some dude in a mask. Yeah, spooking you. Yeah, just like the high theater of the Roman Empire is just mm-hmm. fart gags, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the minotaur defeats Incolpio. Pretty easily. And he's about to kill him, but yeah. he chooses not to because he feels so bad for this poor, weak, yeah. blonde boy. Well, he's, basically. So, he's like so far from home with this guy. Yeah. He's got his little fucking... <laughs> what's the band called? The Flock of Seagulls. <laughs> haircut. And he's got his little... You know, like an orange robe on the whole time. Yeah. And these guys are just dirty hunks in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> in the Turkish desert, these guys fucking running around. For some reason, they still give Inculpio the prize of Ariadne. Yeah, you were you were saying the the, the way the maze was set up or the way it was shot. Yeah, was just how it's it's shot like I don't know, like just to add to that dreamness. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of like you're panning over walls. Yeah, you're zooming There's in paintings on the walls. Yeah, strange you, paintings. you're zooming in on sculptures of giant faces mm-hmm. in the labyrinth. Yeah, you never really know where the Minotaur is either. Or where you are, kind of thing. Yeah. You're kind of stuck. The movie is almost like that too, though. Yeah. You almost don't know where you are in the movie. Don't yeah, definitely. Happening. But I find, like, as opposed to another famous labyrinth shot, like The Shining, let's say, mm-hmm. the entire time you're in the labyrinth in The Shining, mm-hmm. you kind of have your bearings. Yeah. You know, like no matter how many lefts and rights the characters take, mm-hmm. you're never that confused. Mm-hmm. But it's never like a scary confusion either. Right. This is, like, so exotic and so strange and otherworldly. Yeah. You know, you go, what the fuck? Where am I? You yeah, know? exactly. There's some monster coming to get me? It's not your dad with an axe? Yeah. <laughs> and keeping on theme with the 
the metaphor of the labyrinth mm-hmm. in the myth of going deeper into your own consciousness to mm. defeat whatever mental monster you have right we get that that dreamlike aspect of the movie really shines through i think in that labyrinth scene and it really solidifies that metaphor and it turns out at the end that uh, Schofield's just a little pansy boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what we find out about him. Yeah. He's got nothing good for nobody. And that is brought home by the fact that he's impotent and unable to satisfy Ariadne. Yeah. Oh, that's true, eh? Yeah. yeah. Everyone gets it. mad at him? Yeah. But what, he can't get a bone out of the guy? <laughs> well, fuck, I mean, you put the guy through a maze for how long? Fights to the death. Thinks he's going to get killed. And then everyone kind of laughs at him and says, ah, come have fun. Can't get a boner after that? Come on now. He's definitely been through a lot. <laughs> the Sculpia would have to be the horniest bastard in the world, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after just, I don't know, fucking dabbling with a hermaphrodite ten seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Ten seconds or years, we don't know in the story. That's true, he could have been in that desert for been. a while. That's what made him impotent, I think, the, uh, the desert radiation on his balls. <laughs> <laughs> That little fucking two-inch skirt he has on. <laughs> Not too much radiation protection for his old nutsack. I'm surprised with the lack of genitalia in the movie. Okay. I was expecting a lot more dong. Yeah? yeah. There's really no dong. In There's just thing. the hermaphrodite's little, little peener. Little peener? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> we see a little hermaphrodite peener. I'm going to have to go rewind. You didn't notice. I didn't notice that. No, like I, the... I was too busy beating off. <laughs> The hermaphrodite's in its, like, cradle or whatever. Yeah. And then it, like, leans up and you see it's got a, a, a pair of little, little, pre-pu- little peeper. Pe- some prepubescent breasts. Yeah. And then it stands up and you, you get a shot of a little peener. Mm. You ever see the original Dragon Ball series? Not Dragon Ball Z, but just Dragon Ball? I don't, I don't think so. No? no? You see Goku's little peener? A little peener? Is it just it, like a... It's, yeah, <laughs> it's just like a, a little, like a little, two little U's. Okay. One bigger than the other, you yeah. know? Oh, that's hilarious. It kind of looked like that. Well, I'm picturing it now, and uh, <laughs> won't have to revisit that. <laughs> Could be like the Caligula movie, and just half porno. Right. That's the other side of the coin. Yeah. I, I mean, that's fun too. That's a fun <laughs> movie too. Um, somehow, Inculpio ends up in what, like some fucking witch doctor's hut. Yeah. This is far from Rome now. Yeah. And then he finds out that the poet that died an hour in isn't actually dead, and now he's a rich guy. Right. And he tells him to meet him at the coast or something, meet him yeah. somewhere. Then he gets to the coast, finds out he's dead, and uh, in his last will and testament, he sets all the slaves free and makes anyone who wants to gain wealth from him eat his body? Yes. Yeah? Is there... What happens in between that? I don't remember exactly. Um, Inculpio goes to some, like, witch hut to cure his impotence. Yeah. And this is, like, another story in a story. This mm-hmm. one I caught on to. Okay. They tell the story of a, a woman who, for some reason or another, could light fires oh, yeah. with her crotch. Yeah, she's got fire bush. Yeah. Yeah. And so she helps the village out with their fire. fire needs. Yeah. And then it cuts to Inculpio, and he's staring across the fire at this... Witch doctor at this woman. this witch doctor woman. Yeah. And then it cuts back to her and she's like hideous Melted monster yeah. thing yeah then it cuts back again and she's fine yeah and then he makes love to a second woman yeah who's just this large woman who just lies there 
and they. Oh yeah. Well, that is. It almost goes with what you were saying before, though, because like she was. She reminded me of like. Um, I forget the name of the person, but it's the, uh, the Venus, look of the the body back okay. in the pagan times. It was always like a nice big fat lady, right? With big old saggers, and that was the, <laughs> the kind of fertility goddess look. Yes. So is that kind of a fertility goddess he's. Uh, yeah, I think into? so. Yeah. I think I think they call her an Earth Mother. There you go. Yeah. Straight to it. Yeah. So and so then that cures his impotence. Yeah. And then. He leaves the hut and I finds... Think he's just gay, I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's confusing. It's definitely weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, when does... Ashilto dies at some point during mm-hmm. this. I think he's trying to get to Inculpio, and he dies on the way there. Yeah. And then... Or he's dying, and as they leave the hut to go to the coast together, Ashilto collapses. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. And then Inculpio's like, all right... Peace. And then he, yeah, peace, he <laughs> leaves, gets on the boat. Um, yeah, what did you think of the ending, where the slaves are free to go, and uh, the peop- the rich people have to eat his body? Yeah. Eat Alupo, the poet's body. Why do you think they do that? Is that uh, the farthest pagan, farthest from the Roman civilization that you could go, where you're back to cannibalism? I think it might just be a physical metaphor for inheritance. Okay, yeah. You eat his body and you acquire his wealth. Yeah. Kind of thing. It ends... Does The movie ends mid-sentence, right? Pretty well, yeah. Because the novel ends mid-sentence. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It ends very abruptly. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's, it's, it ends on a shot of Inculpio's face on the boat, right? Yeah. With the ocean behind him. Yeah, and then it fades to the... Uh, or yeah. dissolves to the, the painting. Right, yes. Yeah. That could also be a satire, too, then? Where the, the rich guys have to eat the body? It's almost like the the Roman state devouring itself. Yeah, definitely. All these kind of rich, greedy people yeah. just fucking it up. Also, I think... Um, I don't know if you want to get into it right now, but you had mentioned its satirical implications with the time that this was released. Mm-hmm. I think this critiques... It critiques both sides of Rome as it critiques both sides of modern civilization. Mm-hmm. And that like that would be a critique of like new money. Okay. Right? How they're just like devouring each other, like you said, or yeah. devouring Rome or whatever, just to maintain wealth and status. Mm-hmm. When really they're not doing anything really to earn that wealth or yeah. to deserve yeah. it. They're just eating some dead poet. Yeah, exactly. Overall, did you like it? I did, yeah. yeah. I did. When I, when, when I finally decided that's it, I'm going to mm-hmm. sit down, I'm going to do it. I definitely preferred it without subtitles. Did you? Yeah. Rewatching it now, just the other day, I think it might be my number two favorite movie this oh, week. Oh, yeah? I think it might be. I really fucking liked it. That we've done or like of all time? I think it might be of all time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I think Chinese Bookie might be my favorite. Okay. And then this one, close second. Interesting. Though. Just because it's so over the top. Yeah. And the camera's... Not because it's like it's everything you like in like an Italian movie. There's kind of just the the mass of people, like in all the kind of neo-realist movies. There's always a million people in it, and you're kind of always in the crowd with the people. Same thing with these shots, but they're all planned perfectly, not just kind of running around. And also the Italian zooms just go throughout, and they're the fucking coolest zooms out of anyone doing zooms. You know, yeah. all the Italian horror movies we were talking about last week with these crazy crash zooms, right? Yeah, going down a mile. Zoom in on someone tight close up of them. 
or moving the camera through the scene, turning around a character, zooming in. You have all these people lit so fucking to the T everything. I, yeah, I find it very professionally done. Okay. Very pro job on it. Yeah, it's definitely... Mm. I mean, Fellini knows what the fuck he's doing. Let's jump in to Fellini's critique of modern culture through the lens of Roman satire. Oh, I would love to. Please, take the reins, Lee. Yeah? Um, there's the... So this was released in the late 60s. And in the early 60s, Western culture saw the rise of the hippie movement the sexual revolution mm. and other such cultural movements based mainly on hedonism and I think this movie accurately critiques hedonism as a shallow excuse for excess it's almost like false freedom though yeah exactly yeah yeah because the most carnal flat uh, pleasures they have are when they're in Rome when they have the big orgies and you're in the apartment and every second loft is a, a brothel yeah. or some guy, with some Roman soldier with no pants on or something. And then it's, uh, it's dirty too, dingy, all these gigantic state buildings. And then when the guys are actually seem like, because the Sculpio seems like he's happy when he's getting married to the boat captain. doesn't seem like he's too worried about it. Right. Or too, uh, yeah. Um, it's like the, the further you kind of get away from the the carnal excess the more pleasure you get almost or the more kind of freedom you get yeah because I guess you'd be most free um, you'd be most free uh, in Rome as a Roman citizen on paper but in theory you know they're only free when they leave to Africa right when they get yeah. out of the Rome completely is the only time that the, they're actually free. Yeah. Would, you, would you say it's the same thing with uh, all these kind of sexual revolutions or these social revolutions? They give the illusion of freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think um, Fellini has some pretty conservative values, <laughs> not politically, but socially. And I think maybe he's trying to draw a parallel between the shift from myth into the Roman Empire hmm. and the how the state of that empire was collapsing until the proper values of Christianity come to save the empire. I don't think Fellini is praising Christianity. Hmm. I think he's paralleling that to Christianity today failing to provide those values that once saved society. Okay. And I think the movie is just hopeful for some new system to reinsert proper values. Mm. I think we, we see that with the suicide couple. Yeah. Their only salvation to not falling victim to this empire of excess yeah. is suicide. Yeah. Right? And then so it's like even they're just a couple trying to feed their family, you know, mm -hmm. like the most virtuous um, pastoral image, you know, mm -hmm. and even they can't escape the excess of the empire. It's also like a critique of some kind of commodity culture, you know, you, you get everything you want, but then 
everything has no value because right. there's so much of it Yeah, now. consumerism. Yeah. Yeah. Like the art, the right. art collector yeah. goes out. Oh, there's so much. Uh, it's only worth its weight in gold, you know, or worth whatever in gold. But then when you get further out to the edges of the empire, things are worth more. Little things are worth more. Like the, uh, the love of a new lover is worth more than the kind of excess of in the empire, in the heart of the empire. Where you can get a prostitute on any corner or any brothel, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the movie certainly preaches um, meaninglessness in excess and meaning in uh, whatever the opposite of excess is. In excess? <laughs> <laughs> but not just uh, physical meaning. Spiritual as well. Mm-hmm. The, the physical world is always, uh, throughout this entire film, is just a metaphor for a more spiritual connection. Yeah, like uh, the after they leave the museum to go to Tremelcioni's uh, banquet, mm-hmm. right? I found that conjured the image of like. Uh, like, the masses of tourists that visit museums and, you know, just go to the snack bar or whatever, Mm -hmm. or go to the gift shop. But it's also all built on phony premises, too. He's pretending to be a poet. Right, yeah. He's just a rich guy saying that he's doing this. Yeah. The the money bought him all the, the friends and the accolades and everything. Pardon? The friend, the money bought him all the people to come right, over, yeah, bought him yes, all the food yeah, yeah. and all the excess, and his fame as a poet is stolen from others. Yeah. Those uh, those scenes, the, the banquet and the suicide mm-hmm. house, are probably the the least dreamlike. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. But that still they're just the most as strange, though. Yeah, definitely. Just as weird. Yeah. Um, apparently, around this time in his life, Fellini had a dream journal. Okay. And he was, like, actually super obsessed with dreams. Mm-hmm. And part of his goal with this movie was to recreate dreams. That's what it feels like. Um, which he had done as well earlier with Eight and a Half. That was him, right? Yeah, but I mean... There's a few dream sequences so, in there. Yeah, yeah less so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think with this one, he definitely tried to to just do a full movie of it, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of info in this book about him talking about turning subjective fantasy into objective material art. Okay. So, like, turning his imagination, trying to, to connect his dreams and his imagination to reality through art. Mm-hmm. And this movie was, like, a, a big personal test for him because he was feeling extremely uninspired Okay. at this time in his life, apparently. And so making this movie was really like a test of his creative process. I think he's pretty fucking good, dude. Yeah, I think he did a fucking good if job. If he's in a slump and he makes this movie, dude, I think he's pretty fucking good. Yeah, I think we, we talked about it a bit. With the, He's extremely successful mm-hmm. in capturing the essence of dream. Mm-hmm. Right, like that whole half-familiar, half-strange, you know? You always kind know uncanny, you're in Rome. You kind of feel yeah. you're there, but you go, what the fuck, why has this guy got a big head or something? Yeah. And the the fact that the whole story still has a flow to it, 
some structure. But there's it's very much yeah. uh, just like snippet, mm-hmm. segment after segment. But yeah, it really feels like a myth, like you're hearing it, or yeah. you're seeing just little parts of it. And like if it's really yeah, like if if you gave the script to any, like just the script mm-hmm. to any Hollywood director, mm-hmm. like the this movie would be so different. I don't think people would accept it. They go, yeah. I don't want to do this fucking but, thing. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I think, like, I think this movie mm. is very much, like, more of a, like, storyboard kind of movie. You know what I mean? Like, if someone yeah. wrote a script to this movie and told you someone to make it. You wouldn't be picturing this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'd yeah. be, you know, some, like you said, sword in the sandal, just yeah. Roman epic. Okay, these two guys go here, then this happens. Yeah, know, exactly. You picture it, but then you see fucking... <laughs> I don't know, the Minotaur with a weird head and statues and all kinds of crazy stuff. Fucking giant baseball bat. Mm. We were talking about, um, you mentioned early on the blocking Mm -hmm. and framing Mm -hmm. of every shot. That, I think that adds to the dream effect. Mm -hmm. And that when you're in a dream, you always feel confined to the dream, right? You never really dream Mm -hmm. huge landscapes yeah right it's always or pretty plots, interior plots yeah exactly yeah and yeah each scene is contained yeah there, there's no outside world in any of the scenes e- even the outside stuff it's always just horizon pretty well we never see any details of anything else yeah like in that bathing where the people are jumping around in the background it's just like some crazy sunset in the background yeah that's probably my favorite shot. That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all those people with the candles and the, the harsh orange oh, and oh, red clapping sky. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I thought um, that was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's always something like that, though. There's this big matte sky yeah. in the background. Or you have, like, in the scene where they, they kill the hermaphrodite, or the hermaphrodite dies, yeah. it's just big stone, like... Yeah. Cliff, I guess. Yeah. Just a cliff face cutting off the background. Everything always is contained in this one yeah. scene. You're and in even... in a cave, you're in a house this even when you do see the horizon in the sky mm-hmm. it never feels open no right like in that like bathing scene or whatever yeah the sky fades from sunset to like black yeah so it it frames the whole shot in darkness mm-hmm. and then when you're even when you're on the boat it's probably the most open shot we ever get yeah of just the ocean in the sky but it's just but it's just the boat yeah so you're you're still trapped in that boat yeah so i have this theory about a shilto <laughs> um this is something i thought of before ever researching the movie. Okay. Um, based solely on the... Hair of the main characters? The dream okay. essence <laughs> yeah. of, the, uh, of the movie. Yeah. I don't think a Shilto is real. Oh, no. No. Okay. I think a Shilto is Enculpio's alter ego. Okay. Like, it's his dream ego. Yeah. It's who he aspires to be. Yeah. He's, he's the cool guy. Right, exactly. Shulto is the cool dude. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. every time we see a Shulto, yeah. he never interacts with the world directly. Mm-hmm. It's always vicariously through Inculpio. Okay. Whenever they're doing stuff with other people, yeah. or f- touching the physical world, mm-hmm. they're always together. Yeah. And when they're not together, and we see a Shulto... It's especially dreamlike. When we're introduced to a Shilto, he speaks directly to the camera. Yeah. Right? And he's lying on a bed rolling around. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime it's a Shilto alone, we get these super weird 
things. So yeah. like, Encopio losing his little boy lover mm-hmm. to a Shilto is in... Jacone! <laughs> it's not so much him losing his lover to someone else as it is him losing his lover to his fake self. Okay. Okay, well, yeah, then, that, that works with right? the, yeah. You know, he struggles to, to find himself throughout mm-hmm. the film. To get some kind of honest uh, relationship or yeah. a genuine thing. And so Encolpio's development becomes a journey to find his confidence and to find his true self. Yeah. And so the labyrinth scene mm-hmm. it would, becomes I, extra... It works in that scene, too, because you see Sholto in the crowd. Right, exactly. And he's like, fucking, what a... You know, he's upset with with uh, Sculpio. Yeah. For for journeying into his unconscious yeah. labyrinth and defeating his Minotaur, mm-hmm. right? And then... So he, he manages to defeat his Minotaur, and he accepts himself for who he is mm-hmm. but he's still impotent yeah and the only way he can he restores that aspect which is a metaphor for his unconscious well-being mm-hmm. is to have a genuine sexual experience based on like almost like a connection of the soul well, you as need... opposed to like ownership mm. yeah. every other sexual yeah. encounter has been ownership based mm-hmm. someone was someone's slave or he's someone's slave right yeah and then the the final one that cures his impotence is him with this sorceress this earth mother you know this yeah. like spirit of fertility like more spiritual connection that finally uh cures him and he's mm-hmm. able to bury a shilto yeah and leave the dream world that's good to leave. africa yeah. the real world yeah sounds good to me dude. yeah you like it i agree I like it. So, yeah, that's how that's how I took the movie the first time. We were uh, relating the themes of this to the sexual revolution, the hippie movement, and other hedonisms of the uh, '60s. Mm-hmm. And there's this quote from the the book, the cinema of uh, Fellini, that discusses the movie's premiere that took place at Madison Square Garden after a rock concert with an audience of about ten thousand hippies, apparently. And Fellini said this about it. The show was a knockout. The young people applauded every scene, many slept, others made love. Amid total chaos, the film went on relentlessly on a giant screen that seemed to reflect an image of what was happening in the hall. Unpredictably, mysteriously, in that most improbable ambience, Satyricon seemed to have found its natural site. It didn't seem mine anymore in that sudden revelation of secrets understood of subtle unbroken links between the ancient Rome of memory and that fantastic ambience from the uh, from the future audience. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool too. Yeah. But I mean, you fucking acted it out. I'm sure it, was, it made perfect sense to yeah. him. Oh yeah, that's a shilto. That's a fucking... <laughs> it's kind of like how uh, Harmony Corinne had marketed Spring Breakers to the audience he was critiquing. Mm-hmm. And then Fellini premieres his critique of excess mm-hmm. at, you know, this hippie concert. But the hippie movement wouldn't be a uh, complete hedonistic or excess. Right, true. Yeah. They would They would be, uh, I guess, applauding the, uh, the latter half of the film, the kind of loss of uh, commodity and uh, personal uh, property at the end. Yeah. 
Either way, cool premiere. Yeah, seriously. I, I think a cool fucking spot to do it. I'd, that'd be pretty fun, just end a concert with a nice two-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you like the Rolling Stones, you're going to love this two-hour <laughs> Italian movie. <laughs> As always, reading reviews on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. starting with the lowest of them all. Worst of the worst. Worst of the worst. Yeah. <clears throat> Increasingly adept at caricature. In parentheses, look at how poignant the neurotically conceived characters of Eight and a Half remain. Reality figures tensely encased in the shimmering shards of the director's own consciousness. End parentheses. Fellini presses onward and finally manages to remove any trace of humanity from his cartooning. There's no moral tug here between his subjectivity and its objects, only a solipsistic retreat into his own unearthed fantasy. Removed from responsibility, Fellini's work becomes selfish and mechanical. It would be repulsive if it weren't so boring. Not that boring. <laughs> I didn't think it was boring at all. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a, um, a movie about feeling or about intimacy like that right it's uh it's about excess and excess of style and excess of form i think to call an individual's work of art solipsistic Mm. isn't i mean what else is art you can't make art through someone else's perspective no that's practically impossible yeah right and to say that a work of art that is so heavily a social critique of history mm-hmm. seems contradictory to solipsism. Yeah, and what was the, the last line that the person said? Removed from responsibility, Fellini's work becomes selfish and mechanical. I don't really find it mechanical either, though. It's Definitely not. It's formulaic, but not mechanical. It's following the structure of the the text yeah. of the, the fragment but not uh, nothing's repetition or mechanical nothing feels like okay close up move in move here move there do this close up like it's set you know? yeah it's very free form it feels I think uh, mm-hmm. Fellini captured the dream essence so well mm-hmm. that it's almost more organic than any realism ever could be you know? Yeah. Like, it feels... Like, you know, sometimes a dream feels realer than reality? Yeah. This movie does that, I think. This is, like, what is it? More human than human? It's right. supposed to be, yeah. Skip bad review. Get rid of this bad review. <laughs> it's gonna be... If we have a movie that we both don't like, do we have to start with the good reviews, then? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> this is really not my type of movie. Okay. At least he starts off by being subjective sensible the indulgent weirdness of Fellini's satiricon doesn't really suit my fancy certainly not a bad thing but definitely something I find distasteful I totally get why people love this but for all the reasons they love it all of them are why I don't oh well he he doesn't like the camera work or the lighting of it (laughs) I guess not (laughs) (laughs) I would love to talk about it with y'all though so Y'all probably have much more insight and appreciation for this than I do. Guess what? It's not a threat, asshole. You get one comment. Fucking bozo. I'll reply to him later and just link our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, okay. Was I offended by this movie? No. Unfortunately, I was also not entertained, amused, titillated, educated, intellectually stimulated, or artistically moved. The whole point of the movie in 1969 was to shock. Unfortunately, it has not aged well, and what was newly shocking then has become not that big a deal. And the director's last name had been Smith instead of Fellini, this film would never have received the praise it did, unless this is on a list of movies you are trying to complete. Skip it. Well, I don't think that's right either. I mean, he, even in his list of things that they, the movie didn't do for him. Yeah. At least the very last one. Is uh, was it artistic something? Artistically moved. It did not artistically move him. Artistically moving. I think that might be uh, objectively artistic. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I would agree. I don't. I don't know. You you got the insane camera movement, insane lighting. Yeah. Everything's set perfectly, and it's some avant-garde structure and narrative. I mean, shocking isn't really. Um, but he means like shock jock shocking I, I think is what he's talking about shocking not shocking like narratively shocking right I mean uh, I think this dude was expecting like an exploitation film yeah I don't know well or, or Caligula or something right yeah Caligula yeah yeah um, yeah I think the the whole artistically moved thing I think it's a pretty popular debate whether there is an objective form of good art mm-hmm I think there is. Yeah. I think this is it. <laughs> I, I like think it, this yeah. is objectively good art. Yeah. Um, not because of my opinions of the film, mm-hmm. but I think because of the director's intentions and his success in those intentions. Just besides the point there, what did you think of the soundtrack of the movie? Did you like it? I uh, didn't notice it. Didn't notice it? No. I think it's, it's mostly... Only certain times in it. Yeah. I read that it's all, like, electronic or, like, Afro-Asian. Yeah, yeah. Organic. It's, Very like, a mix of those. Very weird sound. Like, horn, weird. Yeah. Horns, tons of ding ding I think it's certainly helped me, um, like, dive deeper into this whole mm-hmm. dreamscape. Yeah. Like, that it definitely the, set that tone. The exoticism yeah. of it. Yeah. But you it's know. nothing, nothing that stood out to me. No? On the plus side, it's not as awful as I feared. On the other hand, it is ridiculously indulgent, but more than that, it's tedious and grotesque portrait of decadence. How's that a bad thing? Anyways, now that's certainly intentional, so that in that sense, it's an effective piece of art with very vivid scenes and colors. This is a patrician landowner from ancient Rome writing this. <laughs> I don't like how they show the excess. But the ultimate question is, is that something you want to spend two hours watching? And in my case, no. This dude gave it two stars because he just thought it was too long. He gave it, <laughs> he gave it one star, sorry. One star. Well, I mean... He basically says it's good. Yeah. It's effective art. Mm. It's beautiful. But it's two hours, so I don't like it. Not his cup of tea, I guess. I guess, yeah. I mean, you could cut the first 20 minutes, maybe. I mean, for just first two scenes, get rid of them. Start at the museum. It seems like the movie almost starts at the museum, yeah. anyways. I mean, you could just watch each chapter, like a TV show. Yeah. If you wanted to. That'd be so cool too. The two-hour sitting's too long. Do it one a day. Yeah. Nine days, and you're fucking done. Half yeah. an hour a day or whatever. 
10 minutes a day. Ashelto! <laughs> Not that many half stars. There's only a handful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's got a... I think it's got a pretty solid... Average of it? Average, yeah. Three and a half. Fair enough. Yeah. Seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. What are the uh, the good ones? Any five stars? Full five? Yeah, let's jump into the fives. <laughs> Just the cover is so funny, though. Yeah, it is. Well, you have the cover open. It's the two main characters kind of embraced... Rome before Christ after Fellini. <laughs> Looks like they're riding like a white horse. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so stupid. Which does not happen ever in the film. No. Good, yeah, good marketing on it. Yeah. Fantastic. Five stars. But I mean, if the marketing there doesn't tell you what the movie is, you know? Just yeah. that one tagline at the beginning. Yeah. That's what it is. Sorry, yes, please yes, continue. Five stars. But Decadent. yeah, just the. Just the <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The first five-star review just says decadent. That's all it says. Good enough for me, I guess. So, anyways. My favorite Fellini, in which he recreates ancient Rome in a lush, erotic, grotesque, and dreamlike manner, almost as if specifically dedicated to me. Certain Isn't aspects... Just Tony right in the <laughs> it was so good. I danced with my hands to it. Certain aspects of the film are silly, but that's what adds to its wonderful absurdity. The film transports me to a different time and space and represents the naughty side of cinema that I love perhaps more than any other film. I'll never understand the hostility towards it. Good enough review. Yeah. Transports you to a different world pretty well. Naughty side of cinema, I don't know so much about that. Right, yep. (laughs) Dude gets a little too excited about this one, I think. I like when we see that hermaphrodite dingle. <laughs> I like that Goku thumb that pops out. What is that, Goku's thumb or a hermaphrodite's <laughs> Perhaps one of the most singularly strange film I've ever seen. Fellini's Satyricon is Federico Fellini's freely adapted hallucinatory reimagining of Roman satirist Petronius's Satyricon. And I'm fucking. I'm weird. getting angry now. <laughs> okay, this first paragraph is just like setting up the. Uh, once Petronius shows oh, man. up, I check out. This is longer than I thought. Well, looks like a review to skip then. <laughs> yeah. If you're writing on Letterbox and you have the express purpose of having the Monolith Film Podcast read your review. Make sure it's one word decadent. <laughs> then we'll read it. But if it's five paragraphs long, good luck on another podcast, Buster. Yeah, these people need like a fucking blog or something for these Maybe. long format yeah. reviews. You They're know? a bit too long. Yeah. A paragraph is good. Half a paragraph is fair. But this guy's like straight up five paragraphs. Yeah. I don't think I am really ready for late career Fellini. He gave it five stars though. Anyways. Everyone has got a different answer for the question, when did Fellini descend into incoherent extravagance? And I think that my answer is Fellini Satyricon. There is just too much going on and not enough of proper narrative or thematic through line for me. There are some really good and entertaining vignettes in here, which tells me that there is hope for me to enjoy this film on a rewatch, but for now it's just a little too much. That's fair, though. That's a fair answer, though. But he gave it five out of five. Yeah. Maybe he rewatched it and changed it. Yeah, maybe. Didn't update his review, though. Just rewatched it. But you can see how people would be turned off by no narratives. Yeah, definitely. Like that, yeah. Or missing major scenes in a movie or in a story. Yeah, I think if you're not 
like an active film buff mm, or yeah it might turn you if you're off more of a story guy or yeah. you're stuck on story but fair enough review yeah i think Can't so fault I th- for the review that's a fair review i think the film definitely demands a certain level of patience yeah and just openness to what it is yeah fellini's orgiastic odyssey through ancient rome is a sheer debauched delight gliding seamlessly from one erotic and extravagant episode to the next Fellini takes us on a richly symbolic journey of sex and violence that beams with colorful sights and sounds, critiquing the consumerist hedonism of capitalist modernity whilst offering an eccentric look at one of history's most interesting civilizations. Similarly to the films of Alejandro Jodorowsky, it is a great joy to see Fellini granted all the necessary resources to realize his audacious and ambitious surrealist masterpiece, on the large scale it clearly required. Do you find uh, a similarity between the Jodorowsky and this? Yeah, I did. Yeah? Yeah. I think, as well, I've only seen The Holy Mountain. Yeah. But I think there's a, a similar... Not um, of turds, I think, in this one. <laughs> <laughs> to Jodorowsky. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing that they smoke the turd, right? They do some transform it to gold. Yeah. They alchemy it to gold. I think um, there's... It, it, the narrative of... Holy Mountain is pretty segmented as well. Mm-hmm. There is that solid plot line. There's just a lot of flashbacks and exposition A lot shots. of stuff in between. Yeah. 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 Like when they introduce every planet. Yeah. I think there's that whole middle section that's yeah. just... Planetaries. Yeah, exposition yeah. metaphors, pretty yeah. much. Um, it's about the same thing, almost. The colors, yeah. the, the scenes, the, the shots, the, the setting. Mm-hmm. Jodorowsky's a little more consistent with his strangeness as yeah, well. Yeah, well, he's more straight surreal. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Where it's only metaphor or only allegory. Yeah. This one I find feels more technically savvy, more technically sound. Okay. It's more, it's like, it's all in-studio stuff too. Yeah. So it'd be like full excess of the studio system. Or like Jodorowsky's more like, let's walk up this hill and take acid and film it kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's more, this would be more filmic and that would be more experience. Yeah, I think that's probably why I like The Holy Mountain more. Mm. Because I can appreciate the literary aspects of film more mm-hmm. quickly than the technical aspects of film. Okay, yeah. So something like The Holy Man stands out to me more is, than yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Both good flicks, though. Yeah, definitely. Both good. Yeah. What do you uh, What do you think yourself, Lee? Would you give it a 1 on 10? No, a definitely 10 not. 10 on 10? I really liked it. Yeah? Yeah. I think if you would have asked me after I tried the first time for 20 minutes, I probably would have said something like 3 out of 10. Oh, yeah. Quite quite frankly, yeah. yeah. I don't like the beginning either, though. No, Until yeah. Until the museum, or the collection scene when he meets the poet. But um, sitting down and, you know, watching through the whole two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably near 7. 7. 7.5. That's fair, though. Yeah, I think I definitely need to watch it a few more times before mm. I appreciate it enough. I think I am lowballing it okay. a little. I think on a rewatch, it would definitely go up. But for now, I'm going to have to stick to about a seven, seven and a half. I got to give it a nine and a half, I, know, I yeah. think, dude. I got to give it a nine and a half. Fuck, I like this one, dude. It's just so much that it's just right, you know? Yeah. It's almost good in the same way that, like... Oh, Boogie Nights. Yeah. Like good in the same way that Boogie Nights is good, where the excess of the the technique 
is just so fantastic that you're just sucked into the spectacle of the the liquid color and the, yeah, okay. the strangeness of it and the excess of it. Because this is almost the same story, where it's the rise and fall of excess, of this kind of porno industry when it was massive, and then when it collapses, when videotape comes out. Yeah. Same story as the Roman Empire, and same excess filmically as the uh, Satyricon. I feel like I can't... Like, I have very little negatively mm-hmm. to say about this film. Apart from that, it's hard to get through the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And if you don't have the patience for it, it might seem boring. But I did have the patience for it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even imagine anyone finding a movie like this boring, though. Right, yeah. Because there's so much fucking happening. There's so many weird things to look at. Like, yeah. You, you're never going to see people's faces look like that before, or these strange sets and settings. But it's always... There's a bit of foundation in the real, though, with it. Yeah. Because there's never any monsters. The Minotaur's a guy with a mask on. There's never any magic. It's just like a guy banging some chubby girl. <laughs> it's always like the the real. So it's not like, uh, I don't know, a, a contemporary period piece like the 300 or something. Right. It's grand and excessive, but it's also fantastical and mystical and magical. And there's monsters and weird goat people and things. This feels like you could take a time machine and hop to some weird place. I think I might bump it up to an eight. Bump it to an eight. Yeah, I'm going to bump it up to an eight as my final answer. Fair enough. Yeah, so then I think it, it definitely deserves at least an eight. Average is an eight and a half, I say, fair? You gave it a... Eight yeah, nine and a half. Yeah, okay. Eight and a half. Eight and a half, fair. Eight and a half. Well, rock and roll. I'm glad you enjoyed this one, Lee. I'm glad you, I'm glad you recommended it. I fucking it. love this one. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely going on the rewatch yeah. list, too. Well... Yeah, next week... Remember what we're doing? Tetsuo. Tetsuo the Iron Man. I am very excited for this one. Yeah? Yeah. Very, very excited for this. I know nothing of it. Bodily it's horror? It's like a body, yeah, a Japanese body horror. Same vein as Videodrome. Kind of like a yeah. technology, techno body horror. I like it. Yeah, I'm very excited. So, watch that for next week, guys. This has been the Monolith Film Podcast. I'm Lee Byrne. I am Nick Gilam. You can email us with movie suggestions, comments on the movies we've talked about, uh, anything you like. If you want to reenact scenes from Fellini Satyricon, send them in. That'd be hilarious. You can send those to uh, monolithfilmclub at gmail.com. Or my personal email. (laughs) (laughs) You can uh, find us on Instagram and Twitter at monolithfilmpod. Search us up on YouTube. We should be on iTunes and Spotify very soon. But this time, <laughs> by the time this is out, hopefully we'll be getting there. Mm. Uh, so yeah, until then, uh, watch the movies.